catch the chorus of that song? Okay, there it is. Did <laughs> you catch the chorus of that song? You say I am loved when I can't feel a thing. You say I am strong when I say I am weak. You say I am held when I am falling short. When I don't belong, you say I am yours. Every Sunday when you come in here, do you feel loved? Do you feel strong? Do you feel held? See, Paul tells us, he told the church of Corinth, 1 Corinthians 12, 27, it says, All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you are a part of it. See, we are brought together as a group of believers, and we are to reflect the image of Christ. So the characteristics that she was singing about in that song, obviously it was being sung to God, but we as the church, we are the body of Christ, so we are to reflect that image. I uh, want you to keep that in mind, keep that scripture and that chorus in mind as we go through um, what we're going to talk about over the next two hours. Um, <laughs> just want to make sure you were listening. So how did we get here? How did we get to where this guy who has been a Sunday school teacher and an usher and takes up the offering right down here in the second service, how did we get to a point to where he is now up here preaching a sermon on Sunday morning? It's been a wild journey. Uh, when I look back on my time here at Burning Bush, um, it, it started way back when, when I was a little 16-year-old cocky football player that went to Ringo High School. And I was finishing up practice one day. And this gentleman came up to me, a gentleman by the name of Mr. Bernard Sims. Some of y'all may know him. Uh, came up to me and he said, hey, boy. Even to this day, I'm 53 years old now, and if I hear Bernard say that, I still get this cringe of that little 16-year-old. I get a little scared. Um, and I'm 53 years old. Um, but he came up to me, and he said, hey, boy, he said, the Andersons are having a youth Bible study over at their house next Tuesday, and you need to be there. I was like, okay. It's kind of a time for a decision. Because I knew, I've known Mr. Sims for a long time. I've known him since I was probably about five years old. So he's had a huge impact in my life. And I knew at that point I had a time to make a decision. I could say yes, sir, and not show up. And if I did that, there were going to be repercussions. <laughs> or I could tell him no, that I would not be there. And again, there would be repercussions. So I like a good little boy. I just went and said, yes, sir, I will be there. So the next Tuesday came and went home and ate dinner and, and got my car keys and told my parents to said, hey, I'll be back in a couple of hours. And they were like, well, where are you going? It's a school night. You've got homework to do. School's tomorrow. You're not going anywhere. And I said, yeah, but Mr. Sims told me I had to go to a Bible study over at Anderson's house. And they said, oh, okay. And they went right back to eating. See, they knew that when Mr. Sims told me something, it was for my best interest. And what we're going to talk about today is I'm going to talk about a lot of people in this church that have influenced me, that have discipled me. But see, as I began to prepare for this sermon, I was thinking about, okay, what do we preach on? What do I talk about? We're rolling into 2019 and and everybody's getting this renewing spirit, this motivation, 
This is going to be a year when I lose that 20 pounds that I've been trying to lose for 20 years. Uh, that, or lose that 10 pounds I've been trying to lose for 10 years. And we go into January and we go into February and we have this motivation and everything's going great. Then suddenly March rolls around. Things begin to dwindle. That fire is not gone. That fire is gone. Suddenly we turn around and we look and there's Mayfield's cookie and ice cream, ice cream in our, our freezer. Um, I didn't want this sermon to be like that. I'm hoping this sermon is something that you take to heart and hopefully use it in 2019 to set some goals. So that brings me to this question. See, as I began to think about all of these things that are going on, what I was going to preach on, I kept coming back to that story and that impact that this one man has made in my life. And now here we are 37 years later, and I'm up here, and it's not because of anything I did. It's because throughout the years, there have been people pouring and pouring and pouring into me. So as we roll into 2019, what are your Christ-defined goals for 2019? And I want us to look at one in particular. I want to look at discipleship. Because through the years, as I think about my life here at Burning Bush, um, discipleship was a very large part of that. So if you have your Bibles, if you would, open up to Luke 14, verses 25 through 27. It'll be on the screen if you don't have your Bibles with you. Luke 14, 25 through 27. It says a large crowd was following Jesus. He turned around and said to them, If you want to be my disciple, you must by comparison hate everyone else. Your father, your mother, your wife, your children, your brothers, your sisters. Yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. As Jesus was speaking those very powerful words, Sure, there was a lot going through the minds of the disciples, and we're going to get to that. But when we sit here and we read that, we read verse 26. It says, if you, do not want, if you want to be my disciple, you must by comparison hate everyone else, your father, your mother, your wife, your children, your brother, your sister, yes, even your own life. When we think of that, we think, well, is this a contradiction? Because we know what Scripture teaches us about love. We know what Scripture teaches us about compassion for others. So how does that fit in with what Jesus is telling his disciples here? Is he telling them to hate everyone? No, if we think about it, in comparison, and that word is in there, in comparison, God should be number one in our life. That's what he's saying. Nothing in comparison should be above our devotion to Christ. I heard Dennis give a sermon one time, so I'm going to steal some of his notes. And he was talking about when we rank things in our life as far as priority. The number one should be God. Above all, God should be number one in our life. And then second, if you're married, your spouse should be second. And then third should be your children. And no matter how we work our lives, those things should not get out of order. God should always have number one. We can't put children above our spouse. We can't put our spouse above God, definitely. So that's what he was telling his disciples. He's saying, listen, in your life, I should have complete authority over your life, and I should be number one, and everything else, if you try to put it above me, you should hate it. And then he goes on to say in that last verse, he says, 
And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. See, the people at the time that Jesus was speaking to would have fully understood what he was talking about when he mentioned the cross. The cross to them represented suffering. It represented death. See, the Roman, the Roman government, who was kind of the authoritative body at the time, if they deemed that you had done something so wrong that you were to be put to death because they had that authority over your life, then what you had to do was literally pick up your cross, carry it through the city to a point to where you were going to be hung and died. There was no get-out-of-jail-free card. There was no chance of parole. You were going to die. So how does that relate to what Jesus is telling us here? See, as Christians, we must seek to be like Christ and give up our own will for the will of the Father. See, that's what Jesus did. When he came here, his sole purpose was to fulfill the will of the Father. And he told me, he even said, Father, your will be done, not mine. And sometimes that's very difficult to do because when we submit to the will of the Father, that means maybe going to places that's a little bit uncomfortable. That means maybe serving in places that we don't really have a comfort zone in. Sometimes when we submit to the will of the Father, it kind of pulls us out of our comfort zone. See, when, if you remember just a couple of weeks ago, we had Austin Holcomb in here. And Austin Holcomb is going over to Africa to serve. Now, I'm sure for Austin, it probably would have been very nice to just come to Ringo and bring his wife and his family here and make a home here and get a job here and let Tim and Susie love on them grandbabies and everything would be great. I'm sure going to Africa is a little bit out of his comfort zone. But see, he's doing the will of what the Father has for his life. He's going to a place that's probably going to make him a little bit uncomfortable. See, when we follow the will of the Father and do what he wants us to do, see, sometimes we get a little bit uncomfortable. So now that we know those characteristics, we know what we need to be, what it looks like to be a disciple, what do we do next? Well, he gives us, and I'm sure it's a scripture that you've all heard, Matthew 28, 19 through 20. It says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So once we establish that we are a disciple, I'm just going to walk over here and get my water because I'm really thirsty now. <laughs> once we establish these characteristics of being a disciple, what comes next? Jesus is very plain on that. He tells us, therefore, go. We could spend time kind of dissecting this scripture, but I want us to focus on that first part there. Therefore, go. The subject of that is you. Therefore, you go and make disciples. So where specifically do we go? I'm going to flip over the chart that you've already seen because Joseph ruined it for me. <laughs> and it will be up here on the board. I would love to say that I'm really brilliant and I came up with this all on my own. 
but I didn't. I stole it from our pastor, so um, give him credit for that. If you can hear my voice right now, how many of you raise your hand if you can hear my voice? Everybody, some hands are not up. Some of you are sleeping. If somebody's sleeping next to you, hit them because they need to hear this, okay? If you can hear my voice, you fall somewhere within one of these categories. And this is not to point fingers. This is not to set in judgment. This is simply to say, this is where we need to go. This is the go of what we have to do. This first circle out here is the unchurched, the community. That's people out in our community that maybe do not know Christ, do not understand what it means to be a believer in Christ. Or maybe they've been to a church and they've been hurt and just really don't want anything to do with the church right now. The second one is regular attenders. This is the crowd. These are the ones that come here maybe two or three times a year. They come at Christmas. They come at Easter. Maybe they come on Mother's Day when mom forces them to come. Then you have the members, the congregation. Now, the members are the ones that say, okay, God, I'm going to give you about an hour every Sunday, and I will be there every Sunday, God, and I've set that hour aside for you. Or maybe it's some that probably will not even hear this because they go to Sunday school, but then they don't come into corporate worship. They give God that, they give that one hour. That's all I'm going to give to you. And then you have the maturing members, the committed. That's the ones that maybe go to small groups ones that come to church, but they're not really fulfilling this passage that we talked about. They're not fulfilling that passage of going and telling others about Christ. And then you have this last group here, this core. If you look at a lot of the studies, this is where they say the 20% is. This is the 20% that say, okay, God, I get it. I've accepted you as my Savior I'm going to follow you. I'm going to do the things that you command me to do. And they're going out there and they're discipling others. That's the 20%. But I want you to think about something. I want you to think about what if we, as Burning Bush Baptist Church, we just had two groups. If we had these regular attenders all the way, all and all of these in here, you've got the regular attenders, the members, the maturing members, and the lay ministers. What if all of those came together and they were all lay ministers? To where all you had was that core group and then you had the community, the ones who are unchurched. And that means we came in here and we said... Heavenly Father, I, I understand this command that you've given us. I understand that I need to go. And we had everyone in here in this church committed to doing that. And what were they doing? They were going into Heritage High School. They were therefore going. They were going into Ringgold High School. They were going into the Walmarts. They were going into the Nicaragua. They were going into Honduras. They were going into Jamaica. They were going into all these places where people don't know about Christ because that was their command that the Lord and Savior gave them and said, I need you to go, so go. What if we had a church that was solely committed to doing that? Imagine what our community would be like. Imagine what our church would be like. 
See, we've got an amazing mission field out there. We've just got to do what the Father tells us. We've got to make sure we're doing the Father's will and not ours. So now that we understand these characteristics, now that we understand what we're supposed to do, what is that going to look like? What does it look like to disciple someone? Well, if you look in the scripture, there's a very beautiful relationship. Before we get to that, I just want to take a time out here just a minute. Um, when I think about my life here at Burning Bush, when I look back over the 37 years, and I want to talk specifically to um, the seniors that are in here. And you know who you are. If you got this stuff on your head, see this gray stuff? See a lot of y'all have it out there. If you've got this gray stuff, then, then you're the ones I'm talking to. And I look back over the time that I've had here at Burning Bush Baptist Church, the influence that these men and women have had in my life has been amazing. Because see, with this gray hair comes wisdom. With this gray hair comes knowledge. With this gray hair comes a lot of mistakes that you've made and you've overcome them. And I remember when I look back um, in my mid-twenties and thirties and on Sunday night and Wednesday night, worship service used to be in here. And I remember coming in here and many times there was times that the pastor wouldn't preach and he would ask men in this church to speak. And I would see these men that I loved and respected so much get up here and proclaim the word of God. God men like Colin Croson, men like Pat Davis, men like Jerry Little, men like Grady Smith. And I saw them get up here and just the passion they had for God. And they were just pouring that into me. I hope you realize that once you get this gray hair on your head, you've got so much to offer. So I challenge you, make sure you're involved in doing the Father's will. Make sure you're involved in this church. Make sure that you take the time to get involved in men's fraternity. We've got some men over there who would love to hear from your wisdom and hear your knowledge. They've got women's groups out there. But Amanda Fenson make her, if you want to talk to her, I'm sure she would, they would welcome you over there. If you're really feeling crazy and talk to Billy and get involved with the youth, then meet over here every Wednesday night. So go over there and help with our youth. And then if you're feeling even crazier than that, give Mitzi a call and get involved in the children's department. There's nothing better than going down there and loving on some of them babies. But the seniors in this church have a very special place in my heart. Because I would not be where I am today if there were not men and women in this church that have poured into me for 37 years. And I thank you for that and be eternally grateful. So what does it look like to disciple someone? What does that relationship look like? If we look into scripture, there's a very perfect example of that. We see it in Paul and Timothy. You have Paul, who is much like that man that I was just speaking of. He's a little bit older, probably got some gray hair, probably a little bit, got a lot of wisdom. And then you've got Timothy, who is this young, energetic, enthusiastic, kind of wannabe pastor. And Paul is just pouring into it. As I read about this, 
I couldn't help but think, I guess to put it in current terms, it kind of reminded me of the relationship that Dennis and I have. So you got myself, who is much like Timothy. I'm this young, I'm energetic, I'm this wannabe pastor. And then you got Dennis, who is this much older, much older guy, but he's smart. He's smarter than I am, and he's just pouring into me. So it brought me back to that same relationship that I have with my pastor. But if you would, look in 1 Timothy 1, 1 through 2. Timothy is uh, Paul is writing to Timothy. He said, this letter is from Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, appointed by the command of God, our Savior, in Christ Jesus, who gives us hope. I am writing to Timothy, my true son in faith. See, Paul starts out that letter. He said, this letter is from Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. See those characteristics that we talked about? We talked about that total devotion that, that you need to have to Christ. Paul's saying, listen, listen, I've done that. Okay, I understand that. And based upon that, our Lord and Savior has now given me the command that I am to pour into you, Timothy. I'm, I'm to give you this knowledge and this understanding. And then he addresses him in such a beautiful way. He says, Timothy, my true son in faith. Wow. When I read over that and I was thinking about it, um, we know obviously that Timothy was not... Um, Paul's biological son, but he viewed him as a son because of the relationship that they had. Speaking as a father, I've got a, a son who is 25 years old. And I began to think back over all of the years that I've had with him and the relationship that we have. Because that's what Paul was saying. He's saying, my son, he, he's getting this deep relationship with him. And I look back with my own son as he was growing up and playing t-ball and playing football and I was coaching him. And then he got into high school and I was helping as he played football, I was helping with his booster club and staying involved in his life. And now that little boy is a 25-year-old man. He's married, about to have a child of his own. You know, if it hasn't happened already. So <laughs> some things were going on last night and some calls were made. So I, I'm hoping to see them here in, in about 30 minutes. But the relationship that I have with him does not stop. The responsibility that I have in his life doesn't change until the Lord takes me home. So even now, he and I have a set date. Every two weeks we go to lunch. And we sit and talk. We talk about life. We talk about ministry. We talk about family. We talk about the things that make life happen. We do life together. That's what discipleship is about. It's about building that relationship. And not just him. My buddy Joseph Rogowski, uh, he and I have the same thing. We meet every two weeks. It is a set date that every two weeks we are going to meet for lunch. And we do the same thing. We talk about this stuff. We talk about preaching. We talk about church. We talk about ministry. We talk about doing life. Now he's got a beautiful daughter of his own. We talk about kids. But to be honest with you, a lot of the time that Joseph and I talk about is typically because he said something stupid to Bree and I'm trying to help him get out of the doghouse. <laughs> That's what discipleship is. Discipleship is about that. It is about doing life together. 
Let's go on. Paul was in 2 Timothy 3, 14 through 17. Paul kind of gives us a description of teaching. He says, but you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. You know they are true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. You have been taught from the Holy Scripture from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Jesus Christ. All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong, and it teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. See, Paul was telling him, he said, listen, you've been taught these great things, not just from Paul, but if you know much about Timothy. Timothy had a mother and a grandmother who were very active in his life. And that pouring into that I was talking about, he had people who had been pouring into him. And he said, listen, you know us, you know our hearts, you know the will of the Father, and that's what we're following, and that's what we're pouring into you. And you know this to be true. Because when we read, we know that this is God's word. It is correct. There's no contradictions in it. This is the breathed word of God. You can believe this because you can believe the people that have poured into you. So see what Paul was doing. He was preparing Timothy for that next step. Timothy was about to go and he was going to have to disciple others. See, discipleship, that's what it's about. It's about building this legacy. It's about building these people where we're all sharing God's word and it just kind of spreads all over. As I begin to wrap up here, we know the time. Y'all call it 940? 940. Um, as I begin to wrap up here, I want to give you one challenge. I want us to take the things that we've learned today and I want to give you one challenge to kind of roll them all into 2019. I want you to take two people this year, and I want you to decide who you're going to disciple. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, then you have the command that you are to disciple others. You are to pour into them. I want you to find two people this year, and I want you to do life with them. Imagine what it would be like if you're that senior lady in here and you've had three kids that you've raised and now you've got grandkids, you've got all of this knowledge and all of these life experiences. Imagine what it would be like if you came along, that single mother in here that has two kids and is trying to figure out how she's going to get it all done, how she's going to get the kids to practice, how they're going to do homework, how she's going to straighten out her career how she's going to get those kids to church because she wants to get them here. Imagine if you came alongside her and said, hey, let's do life together. Maybe you're that man in here to where you've lived life much like Paul did. You've got all of this knowledge. What if you came alongside this younger father that's trying to struggle with careers and kids and you said, hey, you know what? let's do life together. Maybe you're a high school junior or senior, and you know that freshman that comes in the school doesn't have many friends. You see him sitting alone each day eating lunch by himself. Imagine the impact you could have if you came alongside him and said, hey, 
Let's do life together. How's it going? And over time, we built this relationship that could change his life. See, we've got a big road ahead of us. We've got a lot that we need to do. We look around at our world today. Um, we need more people being discipled. We need more people hearing about this word. I want to close out today with a little story. If you would, again, flash back with me to where I was 20 years old, newly married, um, trying to figure out my career and trying to figure out my life. If any of y'all have knowledge on women, please pour that into me now. I really need that. <laughs> but things were going great, or what I thought they thought they were, felt like they were going great. Um, then I had probably one of the worst things happen that could happen to a young man. Um, my father, who was 50 years old, died of a massive heart attack. And for a 20-year-old, that's a tough thing to take in. See, my father was this big, strong man who had been this pillar in my life. And I saw him on Sunday, and then Monday he was gone. He's gone. And so I went to the funeral home with my parent, with my parent and my sister, and we planned the funeral. And then um, came that first night at the funeral home. And I think awkward is the only word that I can use to explain how I felt that night. Because see, my father had a lot of friends, and there were a lot of people coming in there. I didn't really know them that well. So you try to have these conversations with them, and, and you try to be polite, and it's people you don't really know and you're talking about something that you really at that point I didn't feel like I wanted to talk about and I kept hearing the same thing a lot of them made the comment well time will heal I'm here to tell you I'm 53 years old and I don't think that's a wound that ever heals you learn to adjust you learn to go on with life it's not something that really heals so it started getting very very awkward then the most amazing thing happened. I saw people from this church start pouring in. A lot of them didn't talk, didn't talk that much. A lot of them, it was just a hug. Just to say, hey, we're praying for you. I was thinking about you. If you or your family need anything, we're there for you. And then the most amazing thing happened. A gentleman by the name of Colin Croson came in there. And he sat down with me and... We had a brief conversation just about how I was doing and how my mom was doing. And, um, again, he said he was going to be praying for me. And then he did the most amazing thing. He pulled out a Bible, a little red Bible, New Testament, Psalms, and Proverbs. And in the, in the front of that, I hope you can see this, he wrote down scripture that pertains to what our Heavenly Father has to say about death and eternal life. This Bible has now been with me 33 years. And if you come into my office at my house, you're going to see this Bible sitting on the bookshelf or possibly on my desk. Because to me, that is what discipleship is about. See, Colin didn't know me that well. He didn't know me that we didn't have a, a very good relationship. I'd only been coming here for about three years. But the only thing Colin knew was he was a man of God. He has to do the Father's will. And he knew at that time 
there was someone in his church family that was hurt, that was hurting very bad. And it was his job to go and to minister and to disciple and to love them. See, that's what we have to do. That's what we're commanded to do. That's what the church is about. If you would, bow your heads with me.